Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. Welcome back. In this episode, we look at the context of the play. The full title of Macbeth is The Tragedy of Macbeth. Tragedy is a word that is totally overused. Switch on the news for half an hour, and the chances are you'll hear it. But it has a very specific literary meaning that's important for us to explore if we're going to understand Macbeth in its literary context. Shakespeare wrote tragedies, comedies, and histories. At the most basic level, a tragedy involves death, whereas a comedy never does. Not every piece of literature or film that involves death can be called a tragedy, though. Think of slasher or zombie films where dozens of characters are killed off. Surely they can't be tragedies. No, and that's a helpful example. Critic Adrian Poole writes in the very short introduction to tragedy that tragedy is a word used to confer dignity and value on death or violence. In a slasher movie, it doesn't really matter how many people die because the audience doesn't particularly care about them as individuals. In a tragedy, though, death matters. And more generally, the change of circumstance of a character from good to bad matters. It's the whole purpose of the drama, and it's where all the tension and interest comes from. So where does tragedy originate from? And how does Macbeth fit the mould of a tragedy? Literary critics have spent centuries writing about what tragedy is. And obviously, in a GCSE examination, you can't possibly explore everything. But it is a helpful place to start when you're investigating Macbeth as a character and the plot of the play in general. Tragedy originated in ancient Greece, and the most famous writing about tragedy is called The Poetics by Aristotle. Aristotle sets out lots of rules for tragedy. It's fair to assume that Shakespeare was familiar with Aristotle's poetics, even if he didn't necessarily follow all of his rules. Definitely. Aristotle thought of tragedy as a noble art form and he said it should evoke pity and fear in an audience. Pity because the protagonist's suffering in the play was undeserving, and fear because the audience is supposed to recognise that, in some way, they are like this suffering character, sharing common elements of human nature. That's interesting. Macbeth is certainly a play full of suffering, and it's true that Macbeth himself suffers intensely. But can we really say that he is undeserving? Or that we are like him? Well, Aristotle uses a Greek word to explore this idea, called hamartia. Sometimes it's translated as error, sometimes as flaw. A tragic hero's hamartia is the reason for their change from good fortune to bad fortune. And you might know it in English as a tragic flaw or a fatal flaw. You could understand it as the chink in a character's armour, their one weakness that leads to their destruction. You could say, then, that Macbeth's hamartia is his ambition and greed. He's so desperate to be king that this fatal flaw destroys his otherwise noble nature. Absolutely. But interestingly, Aristotle also wrote that a character's hamartia should not be due to any moral defect or depravity. 
because this would undermine them as a character. If their fatal flaw was something evil, it would make them a character we couldn't relate to or look up to, and that would take away from the pity and fear of the tragedy. OK, that makes things a bit more complicated. I suppose you could also argue then that Macbeth's Hermatia isn't an internal flaw in his character, but instead is an error, influenced from the outside, that he's manipulated by the witches and by his wife. Yes. And then we are back to our debate from podcast one about whether Macbeth is responsible for his own downfall. You've mentioned a few times about this idea of downfall, or a change from good fortune to bad fortune. What does Aristotle say about that? Aristotle's word for it is peripatia, which is usually translated as a turning point or reversal. It's another complicated term that's been understood in lots of different ways, but we can think of it as a change to the opposite, often an ironic change. In Macbeth, we can understand the peripatia as the reversal of Macbeth's fortunes from fighting and thinking he can survive anything because of what he's been told by the witches, to fighting desperately for his life. So in Macbeth, you could argue that the moment of peripatia is in Act 5, where Macbeth fights Macduff. He claims that he bears a charmed life, because he has been told by the witches that he will not yield to one of woman born. He believes that he is completely indestructible, and that makes him arrogant enough to fight Macduff. And you could argue that it's that arrogant belief that he is charmed and impossible to kill that causes his destruction in that final battle. Yes, exactly. That actually links to another Aristotelian idea about tragedy. This one is called anagnorisis, sometimes translated as discovery, but better understood, I think, as recognition. It's where the tragic hero recognises something true that he or she hasn't understood before. Aristotle says it is most effective when it occurs simultaneously with a reversal. In Act 5, then, you could also describe the battle before Macbeth's death as his moment of anagnorisis. Because before he is killed, Macduff explains that he was from his mother's womb untimely ripped. He was born by caesarean section and therefore not, strictly speaking, of woman born. Macbeth's peripatia, his destruction despite believing himself indestructible, comes at the same time as his anagnorisis, his realisation that the witches have tricked him through a technicality in their prophecy. The beginning of his anagnorisis could be said to be when Burnham Wood moves towards Dunsinane. Macbeth recognises the sign of his coming death, according to the witch's prophecies. He says that he begins to be a weary of the sun in Act 5, Scene 5. And his hamartia is that he really does believe before this that he is indestructible, whether that's because he is gullible, supernaturally manipulated or arrogantly self-deluded. Understanding Aristotle's definitions of tragedy really helps us to unpick Macbeth's character and allows us to debate where the downfall occurs. We've talked about the peripatia coming in Act 5, but you could also argue that it occurs as early as Act 2 with the murder. After he has committed the regicide, 
designed to secure him as king, giving him ultimate power and control, Macbeth seems to descend into madness. He says, To know my deed, to best not know myself, and wishes he had never committed the murder. Act 2, scene 2, ends with Macbeth saying, Wake, Duncan, with thy knocking. I would thou couldst. He clearly, immediately regrets what he has done and feels such guilt that he can barely recognise himself. There's significant irony here, that the very deed that was supposed to bring him honour and glory actually causes him not to be able to face himself. Surely this, too, is an example of Peripatia. It's also important to understand something of the social context so that we can grasp the significance of the tragedy. The scene you are describing, Act 2, Scene 2, might be interpreted as a surprising reaction for the brave soldier Macbeth. Why should Macbeth be so horrified by the blood on his hands? He calls it a sorry sight. But the first time we heard about Macbeth in Act 1, Scene 2, he's described as having unseemed an opponent from the nave to the chat, literally cutting him in half. And he's clearly unaffected by that horrifying act of bloodthirsty killing. Killing Duncan is different because it's a murder in cold blood, not a fair fight on the battlefield. That's true, but it's more than that. The Jacobeans believed in something called the divine right of kings. This was the idea that whoever was on the throne had been put there by God and was divinely chosen. That's why treason and regicide were by far the worst crimes you could commit. They were crimes not only against the king, but against God himself. So the murder of Duncan condemns Macbeth to hell, which, for Jacobeans, who would hear sermons about eternal torment and hellfire frequently, would terrify the audience. You could argue that this would heighten the pity and fear of the tragedy, because Macbeth is already damned by Act 2. Everything he does after that moment is a vain attempt to save power for himself on Earth. But all the while, the contemporary audience would know that his condemnation was absolutely inevitable. Knowing the religious context is important too, for us to understand the significance of the witches. It was believed that the devil himself walked among the people. The idea that supernatural forces could interfere with your destiny was both real and terrifying. We've already said that James I had advocated witch hunting and trials and executions related to witchcraft were common during the early modern period. It would have been particularly abhorrent then to witness a king influenced by supernatural powers. Macbeth is led by the witches and therefore by the devil himself. Shakespeare is evidently flattering James I by suggesting that the true King of Scotland and England would never fall victim to such evil influence. Yes, and the other evil that Macbeth is led by is Lady Macbeth. We will spend some time investigating the shocking things that she says about gender, but for now, suffice it to say that her disregard for femininity would have horrified Shakespeare's audience deeply in a way that we might not grasp quite so easily today. That a woman would seek to influence her husband would in itself have been perceived as seriously troubling and a sign of evil. That she paints such a graphic picture of a hypothetical murder of her own baby, describing dashing the brains out. 
would make her just as evil as the witches. In our next podcast, we will start looking at the play in detail, beginning with Act 1, Scene 1, and the witches. For now, you might like to have a look at Aristotle's poetics in more detail. There are lots of translations available online for free. And think about what you think Macbeth's hamartia, his flaw or error, is. That's all for this pod. See you next time. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.